listening to the Retirement Remix Show with financial advisors and hosts Chip Munn, that's me, and John Tate of Signature Wealth Group. Get ready for a bite-sized dose of timely and actionable financial planning and retirement tips alongside remixed retirement stories from real people just like you. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. John Tate, what's up, man? Jim Munn, happy Friday to you. And happy Friday to you. I'll tell you, it is getting on into back to school, man. It's one of those things. I know we talked last week about lots of different options when it comes to back to school, but it is really hitting home for me with two seniors in college and one in high school. So getting ready to do the college application thing. We just had parents night recently for seniors and starting to go through that whole process. And it is really hitting home at my house, man. I think back to when I was in high school all those many years ago, and I feel like I did more work as a junior, you know, getting ready for college and such than I did as a senior. So maybe part of that will be easier for you if you've got two seniors instead of a bunch of juniors, but maybe not. I don't remember, honestly. I I just know I worked a lot at writing scholarship applications my senior year and doing everything I could to find out how I was going to pay for a four-year degree. Well, at least my senior in high school has good grades, so I think that we're in good shape, at least directionally, as far as that's concerned, and acceptances, right? Especially when we talk about that four-year college market, you go through a period of time where you're not sure you're going to get to go where you want to go. I think we're in good shape there, hopefully so, but you know, for a lot of people, that's only kind of part of the issue. Today, we're going to talk about the four-year college option. And at some point you get to a place where the hay's in the barn, as they say, you know, both academically and financially. So today we're going to talk about, you've made the decision that your child, or, or maybe in some cases, depending on who makes the decision, maybe your child or grandchild has decided they're going to do the four-year college route. And now it comes time to pay for it. So John, what are some of the things that if somebody has gotten to this point and maybe they haven't saved enough or they're not sure whether or not they've saved enough, what are some of the ways that they can start the process of addressing that? Oh, you're going to put that on me, huh? To talk about the not so fun options. I mean, we've got a lot of things on the table, but if you've picked your path already and your path is a four-year college, we can talk about that day and, and talk about the things we need to do to get there. But If you feel like you haven't saved enough or the college that you become accepted to, you can figure out what they're going to charge and you know you haven't saved enough. The not fun options would be maybe looking at your mortgage on your house and refinancing there. You could postpone family vacations to a different year. You can reduce your discretionary spending, which if you've tried to do that recently, Chip, as a budget hawk, you know, you know, that's difficult to do for a family. And then the last one, if you're sending your child to private school, you know, maybe you stop doing that for the senior year and stop paying those out-of-pocket costs for the private school. And that can be very difficult. Obviously, that's kind of a last resort because you don't want to disrupt the student the year before they go away to school. But those are all things that are on the table, so to speak, but they're not fun. So, We have to consider some of the other options that are out there. And we talked last time 
about if the four-year path, you think that's right, but you don't have the means to pay for it. One of the bridges, so to speak, to a four-year school is to consider community college in your backyard first. Make sure that those credits transfer from one college to another and start out at community college. The bills will be a lot less. Take your courses, get your credit, and if your grades are good, you can transfer those and give yourself some more time to figure out how you're going to pay for a four-year college before you transfer. That's something I run into in Brunswick County anyway, people transferring to UNCW and places like that. I'm sure that's something that's common in your neck of the woods too, Chip. Yeah, and I think that a lot of colleges and universities have come to the point where they understand that cost can be an issue at times. And by issue, I, sometimes I mean just a choice. Like, I'm just not paying that. And so they've come up with a lot of bridge programs, for lack of a better term, where a community college or a technical college and a four-year university have worked together to try to make the average cost go down by partnering together for folks who want to go that route. And I think that it's a situation, John, where when it comes to planning for college. Yeah, I get the question all the time. Is it worth it? Do I really want to? I tend to have the conversation about education funds. So sometimes education doesn't mean college. Sometimes it's a fund that could help a kid start a business. But it certainly is a situation where an ounce of prevention in this case is worth a pound of cure. And it's a lot easier to try to do it along and along and save some than it is to play catch up at the end for a lot of people. But the other thing, there are a lot of non-financial things that folks can do to try to make things more affordable. So if you've gotten to a point where college is close and you're not sure whether or not the numbers match up, there are a lot of things that you can do these days, John, that, I mean, I'm assuming to some extent they were available when we were in this situation, but your SAT and ACT scores can make a big difference when it comes to the financial aid and the type of financial aid that's available. My son has the ability now to take more AP classes for college credit than I think that I had the ability to take classes when I was in high school. So tons of options these days. And all of those things, when you add them together, can produce pretty significant savings over the course of a four-year plan. Right. And you talk about AP courses. It's one of those that if you can get into those and work hard in high school to get good grades and get into those AP courses, it's kind of a no-brainer. I took AP English, History, and Calculus and ended up taking the AP courses for all three of those. I did get credit in English and History, did not get credit in Calculus. So I had to take Freshman Calculus when I got to UNC Chapel Hill. And that was one of the few courses that I actually had to get a tutor for because it was just so difficult for me. And Kelly Rowe, if you're out there, thank you for helping me get a C in that class. That was the best we could do. But you worked your butt off for that. And so did I. But it's one of those that if you can do that, that's a very easy way to skip a semester class in some of those at college and just move on to the next level and save yourself some money that way. There's federal aid grants out there like the Pell Grant. There's FAFSA, which stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. You can apply for all of those. And then if you work closely with the guidance counselor at your high school, 
you can oftentimes figure out a way to request a waiver of the application fees, which can be in the hundreds of dollars for each application that you send out. And I think you have to talk to your guidance counselor and fill out some special forms for that. But that's also something that you can do in addition to working with AP courses and working on your SAT and ACT. I mean, I remember taking extra courses on how to prepare for the SAT because I'm just not a good test taker, Chip. It's not a secret. So my SAT scores were okay, you know, good enough to get me in, but they weren't anything extra special. But I did have to work on that in my spare time in order to get the SAT scores that I got. That's one of the better humble brags I've ever heard. My SAT scores were just barely good enough to just get me into UNC Chapel Hill. I mean, come on, man. That was not the the line that I crossed to get me in. I'm a bad test taker. <laughs> come on, man. You know, I know mom and dad wanted you to go to Duke, but maybe only the really, really good test takers get to go to Duke. I don't know how that works. I mean, I think you pretty much have to ace it these days, right? You have to get a perfect score just to be able to get into some of these better schools. I wouldn't want to take it again. So let's just put it that way. I don't want to deal with that. And we joke about it now. It's funny. But when you're a high school kid who cares, okay, I didn't necessarily. I wasn't super worried about the SAT score. I took the SAT on the Saturday morning after a high school football game where we played our rival and I had to take the SAT in Johnsonville at their school. So this was not back in my planning days. I did not set myself up for success. Did just barely good enough to get into wherever it was I wanted to go. Well enough to get there and move on. But the, the truth is, there are lots of options, right, John? I mean, my kids, thank goodness, grow up wanting to go to Clemson. That is not accidental for folks out there who are listening. I took them to Clemson a lot when they were young. I, roughly a third of their clothes are orange or have a tiger paw on them. And that was incredibly strategic because I spent a semester at a private university that was significantly more expensive than Clemson. So there are lots of options for those of you with small children. I suggest at least considering indoctrinating them in one of your public state institutions. It's cheaper to just buy the jersey than it is to pay either out-of-state or private school tuition, and it's a lot easier to brainwash them when they're little. But there are lots of options, John, and I think that's one of the things. If you're looking at it from a financial decision, understanding that if you view education as a product, there are a lot of products out there. And so there are a lot of ways to look at these smaller, local, specialized schools and to put together a comprehensive plan for how you're going to achieve the education that you want, but being flexible, perhaps, in how you're going to execute that. Our Rotary Club has a scholarship. We give out two scholarships every year. It's a four-year scholarship, and it's $1,000 per year. And so I'm on that committee, and we review all the applications from high school seniors. And it's interesting to me to see which seniors have already picked a path for themselves from an education and career path standpoint, and they make good grades and potentially they apply to these smaller schools where their grades in high school can help them stand out, can help them be in that top tier level of student that the school may be recruiting because those students already know that they want to specialize in an area that that school excels in. 
And so in that case, you set yourself up to be able to receive scholarships and other things from that school as, you know, a supplement to what you already want to do and what they are seeking in a student to attract to the school. So sometimes I'm doing the same thing that you just said. I mean, Turner's got several UNC Chapel Hill shirts and bags and posters and stickers. And when he was born, I signed him up in the Rams club. So he gets all the literature every quarter when they send it out and all this stuff. And so I'm trying to do that very thing. But if there is a way to get him in one direction or another, you know, I'm going to try to do that too. But we were talking to him and just to preface this conversation and the humor in it, he's eight. But we were already talking to him that when he gets old enough, he's going to have to have a summer job. And my summer job, when I was in high school, we had a riding lawnmower, a push mower, some rakes, implements of destruction, shovels, all those things. And my brother and I would go around and we had a landscaping business and we would mow people's grass in the summer and then rake leaves in the winter and fall and earn money and save money that way. And we told Turner that basically he's going to have to get a job when he gets in high school to save money for whatever it is that he wants, whether it's buying a car or going to school or whatever it is. So we've already kind of set that. And he was already incredulous at eight years old that he was going to have to get a job at some point. But I hate to tell him that's just how it is in the Tate household. It's not money for nothing and your chicks for free kind of thing. Everybody's got to work under our roof. That's right. And I told you the story of my dad, uh, I think last week, who, when I tried to come home from college, said, the mill application on the counter will be for you because in our house, you either go to school or you go to work. So it's one of those things. But in addition to all of that, so if you get to that point, because what we've kind of talked about, John, is developing a plan for college. Again, part of that is financial in terms of saving potentially or borrowing, which is also an option if you get to the point where it's time to go and there's a gap between what you have and what it costs. Borrowing is definitely an option, but I think it's important to just point out that like with anything, with any goal, there are a lot of ways to get there. And so a big part of what we do with clients is helping figure out some of these different options that folks can go down to get one plus one to equal two. So there are a lot of choices, but for some people, John, they have the good fortune that whether it's via gifts from family or through diligent saving on their own, they have saved for this. And so then the question becomes, I have this money. Quick shout out, by the way, to Scott Mitchell. John, I thought of this earlier while we were talking. Just to show you what a great dad he is, Scott actively talked to his kids about going to Wake Forest. And God bless him, man. Again, you can tell where our minds are, because I was from day one, I'm state school and you know, Scott went to Wake, and so they've been deacons for as long as they can remember, and I felt like that was an incredibly expensive decision. I would have gone a different way on that. So shout out to Scott if he's listening. But for a lot of people, they've saved for this, and now it comes time to spend it, to pay for it. So what are some of the things that you see in terms of how people begin that process and what goes into the decision of how and when to do the spending. You bring up a good point. I mean, if you're with us and you're talking to us and planning with us, paying for college is part of your signature life plan. We've involved that. We've put it in there. And so if you've been with us, there's a high likelihood that you have something 
inside of a 529 for one or all of your children. And one of the common questions I get from existing clients about 529s are, when do I use this money? I've got it there. Now what? And so the kinds of things that you would take a qualified distribution for would be college expenses that include tuition, fees, you know, books, supplies, equipment for school, whatever that might be, the computer, the iPad, all the things that they ask the students to bring with them. And then what you also want to take into consideration when you're making a qualified distribution and adding up those bills, make sure you take out what you're getting for scholarships or employer assistance or veterans assistance or the lifetime learning tax credit. You want to make sure that you're accumulating those funding options in addition to the expenses, because if you take out too much and there's not enough expense to go around, you could end up paying tax on the money that you take out of the 529 without knowing it. And so obviously you want to avoid that if you can. One of the other questions we typically get is, when do I take this out? And what you want to make sure is you want to take money out of a 529 in the same year in which the expenses were paid. If you wait and don't have expenses that were in one semester in one calendar year and you add them to expenses that you have in another calendar year, it doesn't work like that. So you just need to make sure that you're crewing up the expenses as they come in and taking money out of the 529 as those expenses come in. And the other common question we usually get is which account to withdraw from first. And like you said, maybe the students are lucky enough to have their parents contribute and have a 529 and maybe they have one from their grandparents as well. So the old rule of thumb is you take out of the parent-owned 529s first and you leave the grandparent-owned accounts as long as possible. That could change because grandparent-owned accounts, if you withdraw that money, that does count as student income on one of your grant aid applications like FAFSA or the Pell Grant, whatever that is. And that is scheduled to change in 2022. So maybe that old rule of thumb won't continue. But if you're doing it right now in 2021, you want to use parent-owned 529s first and leave the grandparent ones till last. Chip, what are some of the other questions that you might get from your clients when talking about 529s? Well, I think that one of the things about 529 plans is, like you said, John, one of the biggest ones is the tax considerations and can I make a contribution this year? So for example, in South Carolina, you get a state income tax deduction. Can I make a contribution this year and still spend it this year? And the answer to that is yes. There are some specifics. One of the biggest things I think that I would just caution folks to be aware of is there are a lot of small nuances with these things. Like John said, that the difference in 2022 of how grandparent 529 plans and distributions are treated. So there are a lot of direct options for some states where you can go and directly invest in the 529 plan, not through your advisor. At least have the conversation typically that it's the same type of plan one way or another. Either way, have a conversation with your advisor about how the distributions are going to be. Because the other question, John, I get is regarding record keeping and how do I keep up with these things? And of course, one of the things that we do is when somebody takes a distribution, a lot of times the question is, do I have to get reimbursed or can you pay the school directly? So we do a lot of direct payments. And as a result of that, by doing it that way, we have copies of when money was sent and things for 
record keeping purposes. But John, I think that we'd be remiss not to touch on the fact that college is not just an education to get a degree. For a lot of people, that two to four years, these are life lessons. And I, I encourage parents not to miss the opportunity to give their children or grandchildren some financial education along the way. And a big part of that is having conversations around budgeting and, and making sure that you make that a collective effort. Let kids know what things cost, you know, what the university costs. There are a lot of unexpected costs with college, whether it's books and the different kinds of books, but all of these decisions, which could seem trivial and could be something that you would brush aside are all valuable opportunities to teach kids about money and to have conversations. And so I encourage people to be aware of that. John, what about in terms of the idea of that financial education during college, kind of the budgeting process? What are some of your thoughts around that? The way we approach it is it's always a, a group effort. If one person is the only person doing any budgeting of any kind, and making those decisions and trying to get everybody to go along, it's always more difficult. So if you can include your student in the spending decisions and budgeting process as it surrounds the education choices that you're making, I think you've drilled this kind of saying into my head, Chip, when you pay, you pay attention. And so I think if your student is paying attention to what you are paying for as a group, then it will hopefully help them figure out what they need to do to help and get themselves to the goal that they want. And that might encourage them to look for a job while they're in school, while they're at college, which could instill some responsibility in them, uh, give them some extra spending money, feel like they have to lean on mom and dad less and look at it that way as kind of a group effort to get them to where they want to go. And whenever you're budgeting and you talk about responsibility and you're talking about income coming in versus expenses going out, making a list of those and determining what your average spend is every month and try to help them figure out potentially what the gap is between spending and income that could help them figure out maybe how many hours they want to work a week or where they want to work. I mean, I had several different jobs when I was in college waiting tables. I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch for six months, folding clothes and putting them on the table and different things, but it was all part of figuring out how I could get that gap to close and narrow between what my parents could provide and what I wanted to spend. And you know, all of that together, you know, hopefully makes you and the student accountable. And that can sometimes just help everybody stay kind of in line and on plan, so to speak. I think that as a parent, it is a great day when you see that transition in your young person to getting it. Because when they're younger, they have no concept of what things cost and how, in my case, there are three or four of them asking for various things. So it, it adds up. But proud parent moments when you talk to your college student and because they only have a certain amount of money, they are shopping at multiple stores for groceries because they know where the sales are. Proud parent moment. For me, a, a big thing was setting what I was willing to contribute and then letting Carson, my oldest, make decisions. We had an amount that we agreed on that I would help with monthly, and he decided that he wanted a nicer apartment. And that was his first lesson in 
nice things cost money and they require then that either you get a job or you do differently. And again, proud parent moment when he says, I've already thought about all that. I've got it worked out. Don't worry about it. And it's like, all right, good. Uh, Hey, I'm good at not worrying about things. So I think a big thing for me is, John, these are life lessons. And so don't waste the opportunity to let them get the non-institutional knowledge, education, that you might be able to help impart to them during this time. John, any final thoughts for today? It's an interesting time when you're going through these, helping your children make these decisions for both themselves and for the family. And just as we've said several times, it's about the team you put around yourself. And so don't hesitate to come to us with questions and we can help you through it and make it easier on you and and everybody. Yeah, for sure. We're definitely here and available to serve as resources to help you find the best options and to help you figure it out, put the pieces together in one way, shape, or form using our experience. And frankly, John, the best thing for me about being a financial advisor is when we work collectively with hundreds of families, you get a lot of experience from other people. So nice to be able to pass those on. John, see you again next week. Yes, sir. Next week. Here we have it. Another great episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, here are four ways that we can help. First, complete the Retirement Success Scorecard to discover whether or not you're on track to a successful retirement on your terms. You can find this at signaturewealth.com scorecard. Second, get a complimentary copy of my book, The Retirement Remix. Whether you're interested in real-life retirement stories and inspiration from others like you, or you want to learn more about Medicare and Social Security. It's all in there. Go to theretirementremix.com to grab your copy. Third, listen in on bi-weekly office hours with our team. We host live virtual office hours to share new investment and planning information and answer your money, markets, and retirement questions. Find the details to join us at signaturewealth.com slash office hours. And fourth, Schedule a complimentary strategy call with one of our advisors to make sure you're on track toward your ideal retirement. Go to SignatureWealth.com and select the Signature Wealth office closest to you. We'll be back here next week for more on the Retirement Remix. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.